0: Welcome back to the 8th podcast in our Ruth Sermon Series. I'm Dan Rabek, one of the elders at City on a Hill Church, located in Rosemount, Minnesota. Our service is live streamed every Sunday at 10 a.m. from our YouTube channel. Bruce Bentley is finishing our series with a sermon titled, Lessons in Love. We are, like I just said, finishing the book of Ruth. Uh, We hinted at, touched on a little bit of the first part of chapter four on Christmas Eve. If you weren't able to be here uh, with us on Christmas Eve, you can always catch up uh, on uh, what's archived on YouTube. Uh, Last week, we spoke also of chapter four, moving into chapter four, and this guy named Boaz, this kinsman redeemer that he is. And what we did is we moved from his role, Boaz's role as kinsman-redeemer for Naomi and Ruth. And we saw a parallel in how Jesus becomes our kinsman-redeemer, Emmanuel, God with us, not just with us in some detached spiritual way, but God with us as incarnation, God become man, he takes on flesh, he is our kin, he becomes part of humanity with us. So as Jesus comes to be with us, He is actually our kinsman redeemer and he came to Bethlehem like we talked about and we sang songs about and we spent time on Christmas Eve thinking about. He came to Bethlehem so we could find rest in a way that God provides and nothing else in this world ever will. We can find his rest as he defines it, as he gives it, that we can be covered in a way that creates new life. And we talked about Ruth and how Throughout the book of Ruth, she is talked about as Ruth the Moabite woman. And we all know what that means, right? About her life, about her character or lack thereof. And how that gets changed. In the presence of the redeeming act of the kinsman redeemer, she is no longer the Moabite. All those who respond to Christ, you're no longer whatever you were. You are made into a new creation, by the Redeemer. So we spoke about that and the new status we have as his child. And thirdly, we talked about discovering life to the full. How do you know that you are redeemed today? Not just, you know, we're moving away from Boaz's time to Jesus as our Redeemer. How do you know? Do you look better than other people? Do you not cuss anymore? Uh, Are you always doing nice things? Well, maybe some of those moral Consequences are outgrowths of who you are, but how do you know really? It goes deeper than those things, those surfacey kinds of things. You know you're redeemed if you receive the gift. That's where Ruth led us. That's where the gospels lead us. That's what Jesus does as he extends his life and dies on a cross and rises again. That's how we know we are redeemed. It's not about anything that we add to it. It's not Jesus plus, anything else. Redemption is completely, purely all about the grace and mercy of Jesus. Amen? That is an awesome thing, and we got to dwell in that and enjoy that and learn more about that all year long. We're going to do that no matter where we're teaching or whatever book we're in. We're going to dwell on that. Ruth the book of Ruth starts so dark and so hard, and now we get to the end of Ruth, and the lights come up, and we see what we've been talking about. Life to the fullest for Naomi and Ruth and even Boaz is right here in chapter 4. All that we hoped for and all that we'd looked forward to, not just for these people, but for us, is taking place. All that they wouldn't dare to dream of. Have you ever had something like that in your life? That uh, if times have been difficult and if you would dare to dream for something better, right? If things just came together and you finally got past whatever that garbage is or the issue in your life, if there's something you dared to dream would change or improve or go to the next level, then you can relate to what's happening here. They didn't dare dream. That it would be this good. And that's where chapter four takes us. Boaz, he stands up by the city gate we talked about at Christmas Eve. He buys the land. He marries Ruth. The law and its requirements are satisfied, paid in full. That's what Boaz does. The other guy, the so-and-so that we don't know even the name of, uh, the nearer kinsman, redeemer, he backs out because he doesn't want to pay the price. He realizes just what's at stake and what it would require of him, and he says, I'm out. (laughs) Boaz, it's up to you if you want it, but I'm out of here. And Boaz says, I'll take it on. I'll pay the price. This family, my family, I'll do it all. I'll give it all. The Redeemer always pays the price, and he did it in full. That's what we looked at. And then prayer breaks out. And really, this prayer, this time in chapter 4, it's this prayer of blessing, Chapter four, verse uh, verse 11. "May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah hipop- and be renowned in Bethlehem." And verse 12, "May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman." Now that's a whole other sermon in those two verses. What's really going on there? Uh, let me just kind of summarize it like this. These are two examples. As the people gather in this city, they see what's going on, they're responding to what Boaz done, and this blessing breaks out uh, as they remember how God has worked in their history, the history of Israel, in not-so-ordinary circumstances, even scandalous circumstances in the past. God works in those ordinary, or not so ordinary, uh, uh, conditions and circumstances to bring about something extraordinary. So in short, God makes a way by redeeming people and circumstances when there seemingly is no way, which is Boaz and what he's done with Ruth and Naomi. So as people gather, they know the story. Okay, small town, everybody talks, they know what's going on. They know the story and they recall similar stories in the past where others have been redeemed, uh, where women have uh, taken the initiative to create change in not so orthodox kinds of ways. Those things are part of God's redeeming plan. God can redeem all things and in fact will Redeem all things. So that's the blessing they give. And then it's it's kind of like if you could script it, if we could be the directors, if this was a movie, okay? If we're finishing the end of the movie, we hear the blessing, Boaz and Ruth marry, and then it all fades to black, and then the the letters come up on the screen one year later, or nine, ten months, or whatever. Something like so it says, a year later, okay? And then it fades into view that we see uh, who? Naomi and Obed. So Ruth hands the baby over, and let's read what happens. So Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife. Then one year later, the women said to Naomi, verse 14, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was a father of Jesse, the father of David. So as the scene comes back in, we fade into full color and... The emphasis, the focus of this final scene is not on Boaz. He's the redeemer, but he kind of fades to the back. The focus is on Naomi, and there's this baby. The book began where? It began with Naomi, and it looked like that, okay? if you were here the first Sunday, we we talked about genealogy, family tree a little bit, and that confuses me, maybe it confuses you too, so I wanted to put it on the screen so you could see what it looks like. That was the beginning, and that's what it quickly became, at least as we read. Actually, 10 plus years have gone by, and that's how dark and how uh, hopeless things became for Naomi. So if you remember the beginning of the story in just a few verses, that's where we were at. So it's an awesome way that the narrator of the story brings us back to remember how rough it was, remember where we began this story. And now, we have something that looks like that. Where there was no hope, there is now new hope. Where everything seemed like dead end, we're hitting the wall, it's over. There's no way God can work in this. How many times have have, have we, have you thought like that? And then, where you dare not hope or believe that something different could happen, that God could redeem even this dark situation? He does. And how does he do it? He brings in the Redeemer. So we see that's the line. Now, I think, there we go. So here are the lessons that we're going to look at as we close this book. It's sad love. We've talked about it a number of, a number of times uh, throughout this book. It's, it's one word in Hebrew, but it encompasses so many things. So it's very difficult uh, for translators uh, with a lot of words like that, but especially this word. Uh, it, it involves uh, not just love, But the kind of self-sacrificial and giving and trusting, always there, never giving in kind of love, uh, and you wrap in their kindness and compassion as well. There's so many things going on in this kind of love that we kept seeing throughout the book. It's Hesed love that filled Naomi in the very beginning uh, after her husband dies, and there are these two daughters, right? And she says, I want the best for you, I want you to have peace and rest and a home. She's saying, I want that kind of love for you. It's Hesed love that caused Ruth to stay with Naomi when the smart thing, air quotes, the smart thing to do was what? Go back to her family and her land and her people, culture, gods, whatever. And she left all of that to go with her mother-in-law. It's Hesed love that drove Boaz to treat all people with kindness and compassion, Not just his family or his immediate co-worker or or employees, but also Ruth, others gleaning in his field. That's the love that changed him, the love that he extends to others. It's that kind of love that gives new hope to the family picture that we just saw that begins in Bethlehem that extends this new life to other people and in fact extends life even to us. The story of Ruth as it goes on and on and on. So that kind of love gives us some lessons that this morning I want to—I kind of want to try to wrap things up with—and what he's, uh, the narrator is teaching us. And the first lesson is in prayer. Now that may not jump out at you uh, as you think about the book and where we've been, and, and it's there. A lot of people say, "Yeah, but." The Lord or God doesn't play a a major role in the book of Ruth. He's kind of in the background, kind of like the book of Esther. But he really isn't. If you read through it, if you follow through what's going on, his name is mentioned. There are prayers going up. There's blessings going up. There is a connection that ordinary people have with the Lord that is a very real ordinary-ish thing that's going on. They're not the professional prayers up front. They're the ordinary people like you and me that are discovering more about the Lord as they talk to him throughout life's problems and struggles and issues. Even when you don't understand, when you don't like what you're in, when you don't know this God and and what he's doing and why he's doing it, there's still prayer going on which I think you know, regardless of the circumstances, is important for us to think about this morning an important major thing that's coming out of this book. Because the relationship that they have, some it's there, some not so much, maybe some not at all, but the relationship especially that Naomi and Ruth, that that relationship with God, with the Lord, that's growing as we discover more, as they discover more what God is doing, uh, it's sought out, it's discovered, it's rediscovered, it's developed, it's tested, which is really what prayer is about. So I want us to think about in our lives, the life of our church, what prayer is and the value that prayer has. So here's the question, are you good at praying? You don't have to answer out loud, but think about it for a second. Are you good at praying? Most people I know that I've talked to say quickly, they say, no. I don't know what influences that response. If you were thinking no, think about why you said no. Because I'm not the professional person up front? Because it makes me nervous? Because I don't know what to say? Because it's supposed to sound like a certain religious thing? And when I pray, it doesn't sound like that. Maybe you're self-conscious because you use the word like too much. Uh, most people say, I'm not a good prayer, but you know what? Most people pray when it matters to them. Now, I'm around people sometimes, like in that first wave of grief, and not just in the really intense times, but but a lot of times where there's something hard that's happened. And there's a whole lot of people that start praying. And they become really good at prayer really fast. Isn't that interesting? And why is that? Well, there's something in here that kind of jumps out. Because I'm in need, because there's a crisis, uh, it, it just starts happening. They didn't have to think about, now, how should I do this? It's got to sound a certain way. Now, when I finished college, I got right into ministry. I was the youth pastor in Boone, Iowa. You guys know that. Uh, look it up. There's pictures. So I was, you know, called into a situation where I had to be a part of the Sunday morning service. So I had to do announcements that nobody listens to. I had to do that every Sunday for 10 years. And then also, I had to be the professional prayer, because I was on staff, and I had to lead in prayer. And no one told me, how How are you suppo- how am I supposed to pray right now? So it doesn't sound ridiculous or stupid or juvenile, right? I gotta pray in front of people. And there was a whole lot of nervousness in me when I had to do that. And here's what I've learned, real briefly, in short. I've learned in my life, if I'm not already praying, if that's not a part of my ongoing conversation with God, whether it sounds good or right or not, then whatever I do up front it did, on Sunday morning, it just didn't matter. It would always sound weird or awkward or not sincere. However, if I am praying, if I'm talking to God every day throughout the week, whatever jumps to my mind, and I'm just, I'm just starting, I just talk to him about it, if that's kind of going on, then I see all sorts of things to pray about. As we sing every Sunday morning and as we read Scripture together, there's stuff that pops out of God's Word, things that remind me of of, of His goodness, of gospel truth, and, man, I enjoy it. And I want to talk to Him about it. I want to pray about it. I want to share that with you as we pray. I don't get worried about how I'm going to pray because it's an ongoing conversation, like what the New Testament says, pray without ceasing. That's just kind of part of me now. You don't have to be a professional to do that. You just have to get used to talking to God, okay? So maybe if you're one of those folks that says, I'm not a good prayer, I say like too much, it's awkward, I can't do it like you can. Forget about all that stuff. I don't care how many times you, well, I do sorta of care how many times you use the word like, because it gets annoying. Maybe you should work on that thing. But, but the rest of it, just speak from your heart. That's what God wants just start doing it. Okay? So I think what Ruth shows us is a reminder of just how ordinary and and natural talking to God can be. You've got a prayer calendar. doesn't matter if you're praying on the right day or not. So if you're OCD, get over that. Just pray any day. Just if, if you're like, I don't know, I don't know, the pastor told me to pray. I don't know what to pray about. So grab that, and that gives you some ideas. It gives you a starting point. Uh, do that. If, if you would like to pray after service when we're done, so every once in a while we, we tell you that if you'd like to pray with somebody and it doesn't have to take all year, we can pray for a minute uh, or 30 seconds. Do that. Encour- I want to encourage prayer to become more and more a natural part of our existence as believers together. Take opportunities and just talk to God. That's one of the things that I see coming out of Ruth. You also see uh, the word providence on the screen. The second lesson in said love is about providence, how God works things together. The Lord can be trusted as we read the story. We also need to wait on him, which is always difficult and painful because he's having his way in his timing and we're not. This is a good this book is an excellent reminder of how he works. And back to this whole prayer idea. there's sometimes when you're going through hard times, like I heard someone say just this past week in a very difficult time, she said, "I don't like God right now," in the midst of her misery. And I said, "I get that. There are times I don't want to talk to God either, and because I don't like." what he's doing in my life right now. It's hard, it's rude, it hurts. That's reality. Speak the truth that's on your heart to God in certain situations like that. There is a struggle that we all are a part of at different times. That's the reality of life. Ruth is a perfect example of of this. Yeah, but I'm not Ruth. I'm not Boaz, right? So, uh, There is a verse, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, uh, that is sometimes used to hurt people, uh, that is kind of taken out of context. Uh, For those who love God, all things work together for good. Maybe you've heard that before. And, And in the midst of, I don't like God right now, then what's good about that? I get that too. In the immediate issue that I'm in, this is not good and I don't trust God right now. In fact, I don't want to talk to him. He's the problem. So if we can just back up a second on that one. In the reality of where life hurts, and this is not, this doesn't feel good. You know what's going on in there? There is something in all of us, and I think it's maybe not everybody, but people that I know, believers or non-believers, there's something in most of us that says, if God is God, then it should be good right now, right? Because most of us still say there's, there's probably a God. I don't know exactly who he is or what's going on, but most of us still say there's a God. And if there's God, then it should be good. Now, let's press on that a little bit, okay? If there's a God who is God, that God, okay, If that's what inside I really believe, if he's God, he's God. He's that huge. He's that powerful. He's that sovereign. He's that in control, whatever. If he's like that, if I think he really should be like that, then could he be so much God that he's working something together for good that I can't see yet? Even though it hurts, even though I struggle with what's going on right now, Could it be that he's so much God that there's a bigger story that he's working on? It involves my hurt, but that's not the end of the story. Now, that's a big one, and especially if you're hurting right now, you're gonna push back hard mentally with your heart, everything. I get that, and that's okay. But if you think God is that big, could he be that big? Could he really be that big to involve what hurts even in some kind of greater plan and purpose. We can't rush to the end of the story of Ruth, to the end of so many stories in Scripture, and just read the happy ending and make it our devotional thought. There are over 10 years of struggle and, and, and pain and difficulties and issues and consequences of what has happened, all of that messiness of life that transpires in the book of Ruth, that God works his said love through, through his actions directly sometimes, through the people that he is using to do something else. So we can't genuinely condemn or dismiss God because he doesn't do it immediately. Everything that we see, we see there's a bigger story. And we're there somewhere in it. With Ruth, it took years. Faith journeys with God, Are grown, are developed over time. Good things take time. Now the third lesson has to do with redemption. Chapter four, uh, back to verse 15. He shall be, so all these women around Naomi, back to that part, okay? And here's this baby Obed. So they say, He shall be to you, speaking to Naomi, a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. There's wisdom in what they're saying. They're saying, look at this child. He is the restorer of life. Something big has happened. It's not just any other baby. He is restoring life. The full circle continues. Again, where... Where there was something, she went away full, she comes back empty, and then we see this story beginning. It's not just about Boaz redeeming. There's another redeemer coming that the narrator shows us at the end of chapter four who will become the ultimate restorer of life, who is the redeemer and also restorer of everything, of all life, of all creation. Everything that he's created, he is gonna bring back and fulfill all that he's promised, and that's Jesus. Now, the narrator doesn't say his name, but that's the line that goes through uh, the genealogy, all those generations, verse 18, through uh, Jesse and Jesse, Father David, and in the line of David, we have Jesus. The story keeps going. Even though chapter four ends, the story of redemption and restoration keeps going going through the original Testament, through the Gospels, all the way through the New Testament. I don't know about you, but most of the time, especially when I was younger, reading genealogies, I hated it. It's boring, right? Uh, so-and-so begat so-and-so. Who cares? I, I didn't know any of those people, right? The genealogy here is so interesting because it's short. I can read it without getting bored, Okay. And Boaz is stuck right there in the middle. Actually, he's the seventh, which is probably significant because seven is perfection, okay, uh, in the Bible. So he, we give a, we have a short genealogy, but Boaz shows up in seven, um, the seventh uh, place. Uh, here's the point: all these guys, they fit into the story. Even Naomi and Ruth fit into the story, but they are not the story. That's the beauty of how Ruth ends. Here's the story. Here's a little synopsis, right? Here's all these people. They're significant, but they're not the ultimate. This is all going somewhere. I just love it. I love how all this, everything we've talked about here comes together in such a beautiful way to remind us that there is a Redeemer coming. God's plan for Israel, that they would love him with all their heart, soul, and mind and strength, the gospel say, and what else? To love your neighbor as yourself, the greatest commandments. If you get those two, you've got all the rest of them wrapped up in it. It's that, those are, they're that wonderful and they're that important. Those are the commands. Israel screwed up. There's no indication that they ever got either of those right, ever in centuries of time. And everything pretty much is dark until we get to Ruth and we have this example, this one family. Uh, this man of character, this man of standing, Boaz, and these women coming alongside and Ruth and and how much love she shows uh, for her mother-in-law and how they come together. And God gives us this beautiful window that opens up into his plan. This is what I meant. I think that's what's happening here. Open your eyes. This was the plan all along and nobody ever got it. In fact, God's saying, I had to go to Moab to get this woman that you don't like because she's a Moabite, to bring into the story so you'd finally see. There it is. To love God with this kind of love, to love each other in such a self-sacrificial way, to put each other. Most of the time we come to church looking for something for us, right? Is it good enough for me? And when this is the absolute opposite, What can I give when I go? That's the love of God. That's said love. That's the love that we should respond to God and to each other. No one got it then. Does anybody get it now? I hope so. I hope we're moving in that direction. That's what the book of Ruth is about. It all leads us back to Jesus. Jesus is the good of Romans 8.28. He's the good. All things work together for the good. Those are called by him, uh, believers. You are being led into and through a life that doesn't lead lead to your instantaneous feeling good. It leads to the good, which is Jesus. He's the ultimate good. And he loves you with this kind of love. So, significance, Of genealogy, it all depends on your perspective. Do you see how God is weaving his plan and his story together and those spaces between the names and all that they went through? What God is at work on? What is he after? What is the ultimate goal of his plan? Now, let me wrap up with this. Two different headstones, okay? On the top, you see the name Isabel Sneddon, who was born in 1851. And the bottom stone, you see John Sneddon, who was born in 1842. They were both born in Scotland, and they made the trip to America. I don't know how old they were. They were probably younger. Uh, All I know is Isabel came with her family, and John came alone. Now, it just so happens that uh, they got on the, same, on the same steamer ship that went from England to America. I don't have the year. I got to get on the whatever. What is the site? There's some site you can figure this stuff out. Uh, Ellis Island. They've got like a site, right? You can find names. They got on the same, same steamer. They meet each other. They start talking. They come to America they keep corresponding through the mail, and they eventually get married. John and Isabel Sneddon move to the new state of Iowa. They have children there. One of their daughters was named Margaret. Margaret met James Bentley. They were married. Uh, James and Margaret had seven children, the youngest being Harold Bentley, my dad. Harold and Ruth Bentley, got married later in life. My grandparents were born in the mid-1800s. My grandparents. That's how old I am, okay? Now, they (laughs) had three kids. I am the youngest kid. If John and Isabel had not met on that steamer coming from England to America, I would not be here, along with some other kids I see over there. Things would be different. Now, you ever think about... We we all have a story somewhere in our back. We all do something providentially because I'm convinced that God doesn't make mistakes and he doesn't do things randomly. It's not chance. God puts us together in the way that he does so that we're here right now. That's the providence of God, preparing in advance something really good to do in our lives. Now, that doesn't mean we always like in the meantime or in the moment what he's doing, but we can rest assured that he has a plan. Now, just as God has given all of us this family genealogy that has brought people together from maybe in your family tree all over the world, right? The people met somewhere and then other children happened and then you're here, okay? We all have that story just like that physical, biological genealogy. We all have a spiritual family tree And how God is at work bringing you to himself. Those, everybody can think of somebody. If you're a believer this morning, you can think of somebody in your life that shared Christ and probably did it in a said love kind of way. Not just a random talking about Jesus, but spent time with you, loved on you, invited you over for lunch or dinner or went to coffee or uh, led your Sunday school class or Uh, went to a game that you were in and watched you and then talked to you later. All of those things and many more require sacrifice of time, of resources to love someone else. Everybody here, if you're a believer, I'm sure, or if you're becoming a believer, you have somebody like that in your life right now who loves you that much. They make the story, the said love of God real to you. And you can begin believing and trusting in Christ because you know this person uh, loves you and sacrifices for you. And that, if you're a believer, has changed you. Your life is redeemed. Your life is being restored in what Christ, the ultimate redeemer, is doing for you and in you. doesn't have to be a fancy story. Uh, you don't have to be a rock star Christian you could live a pretty ordinary, plain, sort of dull life. (laughs) Isn't that great? Because Christ redeems those two and sets you apart to be a part of who knows what. And his providential work, who knows? And that spiritual genealogy, who's next in line? But I'll tell you what, there isn't going to be anybody next in line if you don't continue the process. You, brother, sister, you are critical to what God is doing in this world around you right now. Do not wait for someone else to do what God has put before you to do. And there is no limitation on the miracle of what can happen, right? We see it in Ruth's life. It can happen in your life. There's no limit. The greatest, the most wonderful thing you, you wouldn't dare to hope for can happen, maybe is about to happen, as you faithfully, obediently respond to God's love and share it with others. What somebody else has done in you and for you, show it, give it, love it away to other people this year and be a part of what God is doing. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time we've had in the book of Ruth, uh, how it stirs us to think of how great and how wonderful you are and your redeeming work, that there is no limit to it. There's no end to your love, the love that comes and finds us in our state and redeems us out of it. Lord Jesus, as we consider our lives, where we're at right now, I know, Lord, there's some of us that are struggling and don't like it. Lord, bring a new breath of hope. Spirit, work in us to revive us and open our eyes that what we're in is not the end right now. It's part of it. Give us the grace and strength to get through it so we can then begin to see the next step shine the light of your word on that next step so we can be faithful in that. Lord, do new, exciting, and wonderful things as we respond to you this year. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Next week, we start our new series, Crossroads. We also have multiple podcasts to check out, including Faith Works and Finding Jesus in Ecclesiastes. For upcoming events, check out our website at mycityonhill.org.